In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. So I would say that probably the, my favorite activity as a priest and as your rector is to do baptisms. There is little that is more joyful. It's so special to be invited into a significant event in the life of a family. Of course, it's a special treat when it's a baby. It's no secret that I love babies. And of course, it's also a particular privilege when it's an old, uh, older child or an adult. When we close out this service after this morning's baptism, we will have baptized our 147th, 148th, and 149th people since I have had the privilege of serving as your rector. And not that I'm keeping count or anything, but uh, I will have done 135 of those baptisms. And it's such a privilege and such a joy. Um, and it's particularly exciting and appropriate that we have three baptisms, one at 8.45, two at the service, on this day, the day that we celebrate Jesus' baptism, the baptism of our Lord. And you know, really not too much has changed over the last 2,000 years. We still have the water, of course, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have God saying, declaring that this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, and in you I am well pleased. Now I suppose one thing has changed a little bit. Jesus, of course, was baptized in the Jordan River. Depending upon the water level and where John was baptizing, it's likely that Jesus was baptized by John by what we would call full immersion. Probably didn't just pour some water on his head. Um, and in the early church, of course, in the first few centuries of the church, that would be the only way that people would ever think of doing a baptism, and that would be by full immersion. And you may not be aware of this, but even to this very day, in the Episcopal Church, baptism by full immersion is the preferred way of doing baptisms. Now, clearly, we don't have a baptismal pool, and while Marek and Nora are pretty small, I don't think I can fully submerge them in the baptismal font. I could try, I suppose. And to make up for that, we try to use lots of water here. The pitcher of water will be poured from on high. You'll get to see the water cascading down. You'll get to hear it hit the font. And perhaps whoever is closest to me with the baby, you might even get splashed a little bit with that water. And it's a kind of unfortunate that we're not able too often, I mean, it certainly happens on occasion, but not too often to baptize by full immersion because the, what's happening, the theology, the action in baptism is so much more obvious when we 
do baptize by full immersion. The person is led into one side of a pool, is submerged three times, um, symbolically drowning the old self, sharing in the death of Jesus Christ, and then immediately receiving new life in the resurrection, coming out the other side and being immediately clothed in a white gown representing new life. It's much clearer. So why am I always so happy to do a baptism? Well, in addition to getting to hold a couple of beautiful little babies, yes. Um, It's because baptism is all about new life. Baptism is new life. New life for Nora, new life for Marek, new life for this congregation, and perhaps most importantly, new life for the world. Now, you know, it goes without saying, I hope that in the water of baptism, the baptized person does receive new life, eternal life, life that lasts forever. Um, but also the congregation. We're so fortunate here to have so many young families with young children and babies, people being baptized, this influx of new life, new blood, new ideas, new vitality. Uh, We are truly, truly blessed. But then ultimately, perhaps the greatest joy of all is that baptism represents new life for the world. How so, you ask? Well, gee, I'm happy you asked that question. Uh, And I would, to answer that question, I would like to invite you all to pick up your prayer book, that red book in the pew rack in front of you, and turn to page 304. In a few minutes, before we get to the actual baptism, we'll be... um, We'll be saying these words together, answering these questions. This is the baptismal covenant. When we were baptized, we made these promises or they were made for us. And whenever we have a baptism, we have an opportunity to renew our baptismal covenant. And this is the world-changing promise or set of promises we make. So what is this? First, you see it's in question and answer format. And the answer to the first three questions taken together constitute what we call the Apostles' Creed. Um, We always use the Apostles' Creed at baptism. We don't use the longer and more complicated Nicene Creed. I hate to um, burst your bubble, but the Apostles did not sit around the dining room table one night and say, we better write down what we believe. Now, this creed, the Apostles' Creed, grew out of the sacrament of baptism and developed in the first century of the church, unlike the more complicated and longer Nicene Creed that took almost 400 years to develop. This is one of many things that we, the church, have been doing for 2,000 years, like so much of this liturgy, an ancient tradition that we continue this very day. And then when we get down towards the bottom of the page, we begin a series of five additional questions. And taken together, these 
five questions and the answers to them are a pretty good summary of what it means to live our lives as Christians and how we can change the world. Now, truth be told, I think there ought to be a sixth promise. And as we go through these, you can contemplate whether you think something's missing that maybe we could suggest be added the next time the prayer book is revised. So, after we affirm our faith in the Apostles' Creed, we ask, will you continue in the Apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers? And that's foundational. All that we do as Christians flows from our Christian worship, our prayer life, Holy Communion, this means that we're called to pray not only on Sunday mornings in church, but throughout the week. Breaking of bread, I think, means not only when we share in communion here, but when we gather around the family dinner table and break bread together. That's another sacred sacramental moment. And I hope, I hope that our families can at least occasionally have the time to gather together at the dinner table. The last one at the bottom of the page, will you persevere in resisting evil and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. You note it doesn't say if, it's when we sin because that's just the way we are. We really can't help it. The important thing is when we do sin that we repent. Now repent is kind of a scary sounding word. It's a little weird, you know? Don't really like that word probably. Uh, but it's really very simple and it's not scary at all. We, when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. We tend to walk away from God. Repent literally means to turn around. We return to God. The top of the next page, will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? It's not just what we say, it's not just people like me who stand up and preach. Lay people can preach formally or informally, but as important as that is, it's even more important by how we set the example by how we live our lives that shows the good news of God in Christ. Then maybe my favorite, will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? The idea here is we're always looking for Christ in other people and we never know when we might meet Christ we might meet Christ in you, John. We might meet Christ in you, Barbara. And the other side of that coin is we never know when another person might meet Christ in us. This is our opportunity. This is our promise to be Christ to the world. And then finally, Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? Our entire Judeo-Christian heritage is really about justice and peace. And since we are all created in God's image, we have no choice but to respect the dignity of every human being. Now, those are the five promises. Anybody think there's anything that's missing? Something that you might add if you had the opportunity? 
And no, I'm not thinking of making a joyful noise to the Lord through beautiful music. That's really covered in the promise about worship. But, you know, it'll be okay. We could modify it a little bit. So, anybody, nobody want to take a stab at that? So here's what I think, what I would love to add. I would love to add a promise that we will be good stewards of God's creation, that we would care for the earth that has been entrusted to us, and more broadly, in terms of stewardship, a promise that we would use our God-given gifts, our time, our talent, and yes, our money, to promote and spread the gospel and to make it possible to do the things that we promise in here. So if I were king, that's what I would add. But I'm not king. So today and every day I ask you to reflect